We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mahomes has the time, delivers, perfectly downfield, touchdown, Patrick Mahomes with a rope. This one, Adams, touchdown! This time going deep for Beckham Jr. Hello everyone, welcome back to Rotoviz Overtime on Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by Blue Wire. My name's Colin Kelly, you can follow me on Twitter at Overtime Ireland, and as always joined on the show by Sean Siegel, one of the co-owners at Rotoviz, one of the co-hosts of the Stealing Bananas podcast. Sean, we're into another week of uh, Rotoviz Overtime, and we are going truly overtime here this week. We uh, drafted with Blair this past Sunday in one of the FFPC Best Ball Tournament teams. We drafted out of the 12th spot. And uh, we are putting them up as podcasts on the Road of His OT feed. So uh, anyone listening to this show, you may already have heard the opening rounds off the draft and that. But uh, so pr- pretty hectic week here at Road of His OT. I think in total we're going to end up having, uh, I think, <laughs> I think seven shows on the on the OT feed this week. So plenty of content coming the the listeners' way. We're putting the overtime into uh, OT this week. We are, we are, and it was a lot of fun to draft with Blair. Our frequent listeners know that Blair Andrews is one of uh, the best analysts and drafters in the fantasy industry, and so uh, we had an opportunity to make some interesting choices in that draft. As Colin mentioned, you can check out the series on our feed here, and I've got some articles coming out on the site this week that will discuss that draft in a little bit more detail, so be sure to check that out as well. And it does lead into a couple of news items for this week. We did not hit on Daryl Henderson in our particular draft, even though we did take a lot of running backs late. But Monty Fan and I have him in our dynasty startup in the Triflex uh, from earlier this season. We have him on quite a few best ball tournament teams. The Ceiling Bananas show this week, the three episodes, 0RB, 0RB targets is modified, 0RB part of the zero RB <laughs> universe and unfortunately because uh, I, in the third show where ben and i talked about how you would play modified zero rb and we suggested this might be the season to target some of those guys in round one an elite tight end you know maybe a tyreek hill a stefan dig we really like those guys we like them better than a lot of the running back options but then in round two there are some extremely intriguing leap options, right? So we were suggesting that perhaps 
we'll have in 2021 the same type of season that Christian McCaffrey had when he broke out, had an extremely high win rate. Todd Gurley had when he broke out, had an extremely high win rate. Unfortunately, one of those options now in Cam Akers is out for the season with an Achilles tear. What does this mean for Henderson and this Rams offense? Well, throughout the offseason, and, and look, um, I know we talk zero RB, we want these guys to get opportunities. We do want to see, I think that's a big and a misunderstanding as well of zero RB and, and how we play the game is that we're hoping for these guys to get injured. And that's definitely not the case. It's the fact is that injuries do happen. Here's another example of it, unfortunately, for Cam Akers. And, you know, it's, it's going to be a, a long-term injury. But in terms of how that affects Henderson then, all offseason, Henderson has been the one of the two of these guys that I've been targeting. And that fits into our profile quite well, going in that kind of ninth, 10th round range in most occasions, sometimes in the 11th round. And he's somebody who could have uh, kind of got that opportunity over acres as the season went along, regardless of injury. But now, obviously, it's clear cut at this point in time. So I think it's a massive increase to uh, Henderson's value. Um, I think we'll probably, and I don't know, you might think I'm, um, over exaggerating here i think we'll probably see him going to the third fourth round range probably um but that, that's my expectation of where he starts to go so i have been drafting him uh, all off season but at this point now i'm probably going to cool off on that because there's obviously a massive jump in where he's going i was drafting it based on the opportunity that may occur and now that the price is factored into that opportunity um i won't be drafting him as often do you think he'll go as high as that in drafts? Do you think that's a reasonable expectation of where he goes to go? And do you think that that is kind of the outlook for Henderson? I think we're probably looking at somebody who can finish the season, um, you know, as a, I would say, a, a 10 to 15 reigns running back um, in terms of the final sentence. I think he could finish even higher than that, although his floor is a lot lower than the guys who are currently going in the first round. Obviously, the Rams never showed the same type of comfort level in giving him a lot of touches that they did with Akers at the end of the season. It'll be interesting to see where he goes compared to players like David Montgomery, like Josh Jacobs. Those two guys are, are weird, right, in that they were fantasy darlings, and actually had two seasons to start their careers that were probably better than the median outcome. Now, not necessarily hitting the ceiling, which I think a lot of people just really thought they were going to hit some kind of ceiling scenario, and they could have, right? I mean, Josh Jacobs could have been a little bit more explosive, could have added a few more receptions. David Montgomery could have looked better for the first season and a half before he had that very sweet schedule to finish, and obviously was doing it out Cohen or receiving back in place. Now those guys are both being discounted because they both appear to have receiving backs in place and may not have this extreme upside with Henderson. It'll be interesting to see, because one of the things I like about Henderson, he's the big play guy, right? And we talk a lot about running back profiles and we want to have some exposure to people with some speeds, people who could create some big plays. The Rams offense will probably also be better than the Bears offense and the Raiders offense. So more total points, more options down around the goal line, even if Henderson ends up not being the guy they use in those situations, which we've already had people speculating that they could add a Todd Gurley, they could add a Adrian Peterson. I don't know that those two guys at this point in their careers, you'd actually want to give the ball to down by the goal line, as opposed to Henderson. I mean, instead of taking uh, one of these guys who can barely run forward and trying to make him run through like 20 players <laughs> there at the goal line, you know, maybe spread it out, let your fast guy just hit the gap, score those points. 
But there's a lot of opportunity here. And I think that what we saw last season with the Rams was that they used Henderson. He was pretty successful. He had some small injuries, knocked him out a little bit right when he is getting going. But then also with Jared Goff in play, your offense just really can't afford to run the ball that much because pass plays, even with a bad quarterback, are more efficient than running plays. And so if you're not getting a lot of very nice plays from your passing game, you can't also mix in runs. And so you lose a little bit of that ability to be as run heavy as they'd like to be. Now, Akers came in at the end and they, they were much run heavier and they had success with that because Akers was just so fantastic, right? But I think that Stafford, one of the things that he does, he'll give them more efficiency and more explosiveness in the passing game, which will allow them to run more often with Henderson without worrying like, if we run here, it's going to sabotage this entire drive. And so I think that that element could lead to some higher touch games from Henderson than maybe people are thinking, but they probably will add somebody. I don't know that Henderson is going to get as many receptions as people necessarily think just because now he's in the starting role. So a very wide range here. I think that you could definitely feel comfortable drafting him in the fourth round. I would probably feel best if he's still going later than Montgomery, later than Jacobs, later than Travis Etienne, maybe even later than Javante Williams. The other, uh, we don't usually do news shows here, but this is going to have a, a bit of a news day, I guess, for the, the listeners as well. Um, Aaron Rodgers, the news coming out that he had declined an extension that would have made him the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. Obviously, we've talked about Rodgers on a couple of occasions here in the show. I tend to try and gloss over it as quickly as possible before I uh, get too emotional. But uh, I'm hoping uh, that anyone that listened to the draft will have heard Sean did prompt the question to me on that one as well. And I said, I think that he either retires or he plays, and I think that he plays. Um, I still don't see the Packers moving him. I don't see him not playing. We can talk that it's not for money, it's not for whatever, but at the end of the day, it probably is about trying to play to win a Super Bowl, and I think he probably has the best opportunity at the moment based uh, in Green Bay with you know knowing the offense and everything. I think at this point, if he, just he got his wish and got traded, I think we're into a situation then where it's a very short-term movement process to to get set up wherever he did go but i i just can't see that happening so i've kind of been trying to avoid this news all along uh hoping that it would just eventually sort itself out and i still think it sorts itself out and i think he plays for the packers this year so i know your question for it was based on our draft um this past week with blair we did draft Aaron Rodgers in that one and we also drafted uh, joe burrow to pair the two of those guys up together we went back to back quarterbacks which uh, we probably weren't expecting in the the back of the seventh and eighth round so we have two quarterbacks one of them is Aaron Rodgers. i'm not overly concerned sean um are, are you concerned and i think a lot of the news that has come out in this situation um when we go back you know the news on draft day it seemed like that was a bombshell then the news came out a week or two later that that news had been accumulating over the the last couple of weeks and months and they just decided to release it on draft day and similar with this he declined a contract it wasn't that he declined it today or yesterday it's been declined earlier this offseason so there's no new news here really so i still think that we we see him back with the packers um anything anything to add to uh to try and <laughs> frustrate me with the roger situation <laughs> yeah i mean this isn't new this didn't just happen right at the same time i don't know that we were aware that he declined a contract that would make I, I assume that he had I assumed that he had been uh, you know offered a contract at some point and I also assumed that they weren't going to offer him a contract that wouldn't make him 
the highest paid quarterback. So I, I thought they had offered him a contract at some point, and I thought that the contract would eventually get signed. But I would see what's probably going to happen is there's no extension, and it is one final year in, in Green Bay. And if that's the case, I just go back to this idea of, of why wouldn't you get the value out of him in a different way? Now, you have a chance to win the Super Bowl, and you should definitely take that chance, I guess, is, is the other part of this. But you haven't necessarily been pointing that way with a lot of the things that you've done. What the Packers have done here, the Packers make a lot of great decisions, and I think they shouldn't be looked at only in the light of this debacle with Aaron Rodgers. But you, you look at the situation with Tom Brady, both with the Patriots, a team he didn't even have that great of a relationship with down the stretch, and the Buccaneers, and he's willing to play for a lot less than he's worth because those teams go out and try and win. And it's very clear that they try and win. You look at what the Patriots did for a while, and then it got to a point where it's not that they weren't trying to help him. They just mostly missed on those acquisitions. He goes to the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers obviously have one of the best skill positions in football, and then they're willing to add Antonio Brown onto that. And, you know, if your question is, you know, should you have Aaron Rodgers as the highest played player in the game and nobody with him, or you just go ahead and make some of those acquisitions, pay those guys, and then pay Aaron Rodgers a lot less. Now, we don't know that Rodgers would be willing to take a lot less regardless, right? We don't know that he'd be willing to do the Tom Brady role. So it's one of those things where, you know, the Packers may feel like, okay, well, if, I mean, if you're not going to go all in for the team, then we're not going to try and create the situation where we're all in behind you. I mean, we're going to try and do what's best for the team over the long term, not sabotage what we're doing post Rodgers. You know, we believe in love. We made that selection because we do. There's a lot here too, which suggests that the Packers already don't think that love is the guy because if there were the type of promise still there that they felt he had when they drafted him, I mean, just go in a different direction. Right. And so you make that move, you trade him to the Broncos for whatever that takes. Obviously there are lots of different salary cap things that work out. I mean, this wouldn't be an easy trade to figure, but if you're looking at what's best for the Packers, just moving on, what's best for Aaron Rodgers, it's, it's a very clear situation to where this is a Peyton Manning kind of deal. It makes sense for him to go to Denver and try and finish out with some Super Bowl wins. In many ways, it's almost like the Packers see that as the worst outcome. They don't want to be in this Tom Brady situation a year from now where Aaron Rodgers is celebrating and they are at home. And so, you know, for them, it might be better if he just retires than, you know, if they actually got a first round pick or, you know, multiple first round picks to move him somewhere else. It's a complicated situation. Rodgers has taken some big shots at the front office in terms of the quality of their character. Those kinds of things can be hard to get over, and I'm sure that they don't think much of his character either. So it's a difficult dynamic. I just hope that he plays for, for football fans and for fantasy fans. You know, the, the more good quarterbacks you have out there, the more options you have, either the Packers or if there's a second team, you know, the – you know, the Houston Texans or, you know, the, the Denver Broncos, somebody like that. I mean, those teams are going to be a lot better if he plays for them. So retirement would be unfortunate for us. I do think that this would probably have moved me back off of some of the picks that we made a little bit there, but I still like how that team came together. And I like your optimism that, that he plays. I mean, we see a lot of these things where the people just really do want to make their state. And it wouldn't surprise me if Rogers comes in, the day before the season starts and the Packers still say that's fine. I mean, we still do think he give us the best shot and his point will have just been, you know, I win this kind of battle of the wills. So 
we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, it's been interesting over the last couple of years. Normally, we would see, you know, wide receivers hold out, defensive ends maybe hold out, you know, guys going for those contracts. We've seen it a lot with quarterbacks over the last couple of years, and I think it's going to be interesting. I think it's just another step along that way. Um, I don't see any reason why Rogers should be needing to be at training camp at this point of his career. I think he's, he's knowing that. I think actually have not been there previously. While it's not going to benefit the team, him not being there based on the media circus around it, I think it's better for the team to see what they might have in Jordan Love and also for Rogers to have that time away, like, you know, at this point of his career. But I think a lot of the talk is like, you know, go to Denver, play with Denver. The I, I think the Packers have a better roster than the Denver Broncos. Um, and like, I'll debate that with anybody in terms of, uh, I, I would nearly argue both sides of the ball. There's a lot of potential in Denver, but uh, I still think he has more of a chance to win a Super Bowl with the, the Packers. And outside of Tom Brady going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last year, the Packers potentially would have got there last year against the Chiefs. So it's, it's going to be interesting, but uh, we'll see what happens. I'm sure it'll become much more clear in the next three weeks. Hey, Rotoviz Radio listener. This is Curtis Patrick from the Dynasty Command Center podcast, and I've got a special deal for you today. Go to rotoviz.com, click the subscribe button, put the 12 month subscription in your cart, and use promo code RVRADIO2021. That's RVRADIO2021, and you're going to save 10%. Taking advantage of this deal, getting your hands on what's included in the package, is the best way to enhance your performance this year. So go to rotoviz.com and subscribe now. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And then, Colin, we have one more sort of non-story story that I wanted to mention to you. It's been reported that the Dolphins are still willing to trade for Deshaun Watson once he gets his legal issues cleared up. So, you know, the first thing you think here is, well, I mean, so they're willing to trade for him three years down the line. How is that relevant to us now? Right. But we have suggested, you know, Evan Silva mentioned it on Steely Bananas. We've talked about it on the show. Sam Wallace has written a nice article about the Dolphins and how they have this breakout opportunity does it hurt the team? Does it reflect at all on Tua that we continue to have these statements suggesting that the Dolphins, you know, want to get away from him? They want to take the team in a different direction. The one thing I think that's Rogers thing has shown it to me too. There's a lot of stuff obviously that's in the media for the media's agenda um, to get people to 
uh, click and read and uh, to see what's going on. So I, I, again, take it with a pinch of salt. I think that the Sean Watson situation, unless there's a lot going on behind the scenes that's going to clean that situation up very quickly, I, I think at this point in time, I th- him playing this season seems to be very much uh, up in the air. So we'll see what happens there. The concern is, though, with Tua is these things tend to keep surfacing. Um, and while I am saying about narrative, I think without, uh, you know, there's where there's smoke, there's fire. And I think there's a lot of smoke. So the one thing it tells me is that there is quite a short leash probably on terms of how much they're willing to give him. I thought last year the way the situation was handled between him and Ryan Fitzpatrick was very poor. I know we talked about that a few times as well. The way that they were like putting him in, taking him out, changing the situation. I think that's probably been bad for his development as well. But, you know, I I think that also showed the concern they had around him. But I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do this year. I'm not the biggest Tua fan. Um, I haven't him on any rosters, whether it's Dynasty or uh, Best Ball this year. Um, Not a target for me, but... I still think there's upside with him, but I'm very concerned about Deshaun Watson, but I'm also slightly concerned about Tua and then in the long term as well. Yeah, I think this is going to be a good season for him. Get him in that second season, farther removed from the injury, an offense built around him, a lot more weapons. Uh, even with the weapons that he had around him in college, and obviously that's going to carry you a long way, especially when you're playing against collegiate types of defenders. He, he was just so good, right? And so uh, I think that this is a good season, but it, it would be nice. I mean, the Dolphins need to do a better job of controlling this kind of thing because, you know, you're sitting there working. You're getting better at what you're doing. You're coming in, you know, 5 o'clock in the morning, studying film all day, working with your different receivers, and then, you know, you're reading that your team wants to trade you to Houston, which that that's not going to feel good. So... Anyway, we're still we're still on the Tua bandwagon, and obviously it makes no difference because Deshaun Watson is not going to play for a long time. The other person we're definitely on the bandwagon, Sean, is uh, Jonathan Taylor. Um, we've been kind of on this bandwagon for quite some time. Long-time listeners of the show will know that we're pretty much, uh, since uh, any, any point that we were waiting for him to play in the NFL, we've kind of been on that bandwagon, but uh, very much so at the current moment. So you have had a piece over the last week talking about the 2020 first round is all about Jonathan Taylor, why he matters and what you should do about it. And spoiler for anyone who hasn't listened to our draft with Blair yet. Um, there is a week 14 by in the FFPC tournament. The Colts do have a week 14 by that has been a concern for some with uh, drafting Taylor in that format. We took Taylor at the one twelve and, um, I think outside of any league that is a week 14 by, I think he's an absolute smash in that first round. So, Sean, you you took the the piece this past week. Uh, do you want to give a little bit of an insight into the listener just as to why he is the key to 2021 first rounds? Right. So we've gone over Taylor to an extent on the show, but I wanted to dive into this question with a little bit more detail to explain why we think he can be not just a good player. I think that in a lot of situations with the way people are thinking about fantasy in 2021, they're thinking, okay, I I take a running back in the first round. You know, maybe I take one of these potential breakout guys in the second round, and then I pivot and I take a lot of wide receivers and it's fairly straightforward. Right. But it's not, if you don't get an absolute star at running back in the first round, then you're basically out of it. And so, 
we have to have these guys who are going to make that move into the range that a Todd Gurley has been in the past, a Le'Veon Bell, a David Johnson. And the question that we had from a listener was, why are we so high on Taylor if there are things about his profile that make him look a little bit more like Derrick Henry and Nick Chubb? So I wanted to go through that. And I think that there are three main questions that we have to answer in relation to Taylor. The first is, what type of jump do we normally get from second-year backs? The second is, if it is a jump, does that still apply to players with Taylor's profile who already had a strong rookie season? And then the third is, can Taylor add the type of receiving value that would make him a potential league winner? So three difficult questions. We need to probably answer all three of them in the affirmative in order to have Taylor anywhere in that range. And definitely if you're going to take him with a week 14 buy in the first round, you've got to think he's going to make this jump. So the first thing we look at, we can go back to a lot of the great research from Blair Andrews. He shows that Going into the second season is the only time we see running backs make a jump on average. Now, a lot of that is because there is room to make that move for players who haven't established themselves yet. And that after the second year, players who no longer are clear opportunities, after the second year, players who are no longer clear starting players, they tend to really lose opportunity and you have a lot of collapses going into there. So there are some reasons for that. It's not that every second year player has maxed out at that point, right? But we do see this big jump in year two. That's encouraging. Then we go to this idea of Taylor and can he fit within a group that would take, make a secondary breakout after he's already had a good season. For me, the best way to find comps for Taylor are to go to the running back prospect lab on the site, see where he fits in. Now, Listeners know that we were on Taylor so hard because prior to the draft, he and Todd Gurley were essentially the best prospects of this generation. And then very bizarrely, Taylor falls into round two. Somehow multiple teams pass on him uh, with their running back selection before he goes off the board. Even with that being the case, even when you factor in draft position, he's still one of these top six guys and the other players kind of in that group at the top are Ezekiel Elliott, Leonard Fournette, Todd Gurley, Saquon Barkley, and Melvin Gordon. Now, Barkley has enough of a different profile in terms of what he was doing as a receiver in college. He has this massive rookie season as a receiver. He's a different kind of guy. So I took him out of the mix and looked at the rest of these guys. And Colin, the results are pretty encouraging. Yeah, and the other thing, like, if we just look at it comparison, like, I think Taylor's just forgotten about just how fast he is. And I know when we get into hundreds of a second, but like, out of those guys you mentioned, um, by far the the fastest out of those guys, it's just another edge to him. But I think when we look through these and the names you mentioned, I think we're into a, a very phenomenal position with Taylor as we look forward. Um, I think there's a number of different things, I guess, that we could say could be a concern around the, the quarterback situation. Um, you know, we'll talk in a moment as well about Hines being there and how that might affect him overall. But I think that if we can get the receiving work out of Taylor, I think that puts him into um, that elite tier. I think he's in it already. But when we see who, like, I know I said probably maybe three or four months ago, and it might have seemed like a hot take at the time. I don't think it is at the moment. But, um, you know, I think he's the the third back, third best running back when it comes to the fantasy options that we have available at the moment um, and i think we're gonna we're gonna see that this year in terms sean of when you break it down and where he fits in with those do you see a clear path to him being the the top guy out of those names or do you think that 
there's going to be a little bit more of a challenge for him to do that. I think he can move into that top range, although, like you mentioned, there is a little bit of a hurdle that some of the rest of them didn't have. The thing that's pretty cool here is that we see with Todd Gurley a jump in EP. Now, when you're trying to figure out what these guys are going to do, and we'll talk about Blair's article going through a bunch of different advanced stats in a future show this week, but we look at expected points, and expected points are perfect for the running back position, trying to understand how guys are going to score and the way that they score, right? So you look at EP, We can we, what we do is we translate the touch that the player has into the expected fantasy points that you would get from that type of touch. And so we have the overall expected points. We can break it down in terms of rushing expected points, receiving expected points. That obviously gives you the total expected points. And then the next element is fantasy points over expectation, right? So to get a guy who is a legitimate first round running back pick, and a lot of the guys who go in the first round really aren't, but you need someone who's getting around 18 to 20 expected points per game. And to get there, you're going to need to be close to double digits in on both sides. And really on the receiving side, you need to get up into that eight range. And then what you need to do is you have to have a season in which you match up that really high volume level with one of your explosive seasons efficiently and turn in a season where you have four or five fantasy points above expectation. That's how you get into that 25 point per game range that makes you a legitimate league winner at that elevated price. So the cool thing that we see here with these guys as they make their move through the NFL is that all of them are jumping in expected points in year two. And a lot of that jump comes as a receiver. We look at Gurley, we look at Gordon, we look at Ezekiel Elliott. All three of them jumped over five expected points in their second year. And then they made a, another big jump in receiving EP in their third seasons. Now, one of the things we talk about a lot is we prefer to be a little bit early as opposed to a little bit late. Now I break down the trajectory for these four guys Fournette was slightly different in that he came about the same EP in year two and then made a big jump in year three. He was another guy in year three where he was at 9.9 receiving expected points per game in 2019. And obviously he underperformed that because he doesn't have quite the same talent level. But what we're looking for from these guys, and the reason why we can be excited about Taylor is that prospects of this level historically are guys where the team tries to get the ball in their hands any way that they can. And so we see a big jump in total expected points in year two that comes both as a rusher and as a receiver. We see another jump in year three. So if you're trying to make a move for Taylor as a dynasty prospect, you know, that, that's an excellent choice right now. We also see with the trajectory of these guys that they're moving into the areas of their career where they tend to struggle. Obviously Gordon Gurley and Fournette have already fallen off. We know there were some red flags with Elliott last season. And one of the reasons why we're not as high on him is not to say everybody follows the same path because they don't, right? So you're not, the, the takeaway shouldn't be, okay, Elliott is guaranteed to fail because he's not. Well, we're looking at probabilities and we want to buy the guys who are ascending as opposed to the guys who are falling off. So the big takeaway here is that Taylor looks very good in terms of being able to add on to his scoring from last season. And then if we look at him specifically in terms of comparing rookie seasons to those guys, he comes in at a very similar level to what all of those players have done. Again, an indication that that comp group is a legitimate comp group for him. So we kind of go back, we look at it. How is he different than Henry? How is he different than Chubb? 
Henry right now has played five seasons in the NFL. He's never had a season with 2.5 receiving EP per game, which is how you can have a record-breaking rushing season and only score 21 points per game, you know, be outscored by someone like Devontae Adams by, you know, almost five points per game when you're this superstar running back. You look at the first round. Why do we get exposure to running backs in the first round? It's not because you have to have a running back there, right? And the zero running back has shown throughout the years that you don't. The only reason that you get a running back there is to have exposure to an extreme ceiling outcome. Well, if you have better exposure through a wide receiver, just take the wide receiver, okay? We look at Nick Chubb. His top season through three was the 4.4 in 2019. Now, before Kareem Hunt played that season, he averaged 5.5. So there is some upside for Chubb there in this very specific scenario at the same time, there's still not quite the ceiling that we have with this other group where we expect the receiving EP to continue to jump. And so that's why we think that Taylor is a little bit different. Already as a rookie, he was a 4.3 receiving EP last year. If we project a little bit of an improvement, then we're right where we need to be. Okay. Now, Colin, the big red flag here is that he's in an offense where he has to share these receiving opportunities with Hines. Hines has already had two out of his three seasons above seven receiving EP. The only back in this group who had a serious pass catching specialist as a threat was Melvin Gordon. That was Danny Woodhead. Woodhead gets injured in that year two breakout where Melvin Gordon really explodes. Gordon is such a big talent where he was at that point in his career that I think a lot of it would have happened anyway. But we don't know how his career would have developed if Woodhead doesn't suffer that injury in the same way that, you know, at the end of the season, if Henderson has a big year, I mean, it'll be very different in terms of we can't say that he would have done that, obviously, if, if Cam Akers had stayed healthy. What are your thoughts on Taylor within this offense and with Carson Wentz, someone who has had a number of seasons here where his top receiving back has been up into the range that would be solid for you know, getting the receiving EP you need at that position, but not necessarily at the level of a Phillip Rivers. Are we concerned that although Taylor fits this trajectory uh, and this profile very nicely, that some of that is simply this Phillip Rivers sort of bump or inflation, and that once we go back to a little bit more of a normal offense, he actually is going to be much more of a, a Nick Chubb type of player? So what I think is the concern is like you you had it on there the the Nick Chubb effect I guess we could call it I think that the floor is pretty stable with him I think we're we're going to get like it's not just going to be something that he absolutely fell off and, and nothing goes right I think we have a floor there but the red flags and Carson Wentz like this offense in general is a red flag like we don't know we could be two weeks into the season we could be like Carson Wentz just looks so good this offense is going to be explosive or we could be you know a couple of plays into week one and we're like what has happened to Carson Wentz that he just can't throw the ball anymore so there's those red flags I think from the talent perspective like you mentioned I have no red flags from his actual player his talent um the the flags are around the quarterback the flags are around Naheem Hines I think Hines is one of the, the better I would say he's top five in terms of receiving backs in the NFL um, and he, he has been one of our targets for many years um, outside now of uh, Taylor being there and what we expect him to do. I still think Hines is a value uh, for fantasy football, but I, I think what we may see with this offense is 
more targets to the running back position in general. I think we're going to see it's one of those sort of situations where a player is, um, you know, so good that you have to get him the ball. We see it with Christian McCaffrey, and I don't think he's going to have a Christian McCaffrey role, but you know, he's so good. We have to get him the ball, get him in space, get him those opportunities. And I think we'll see those sort of opportunities come the way of Jonathan Taylor as well. So I think that the red flags are there, but the red flags are very small. They're like little tiny red flags that you see if you're at the beach, maybe uh, on top of a sandcastle. So my concern with the red flags aren't huge, but the two that are there are, are Hines and the quarterback situation. Exactly. And I think your point that we have these types of players, you have to get them the ball. The teams have demonstrated in the past that that is what's going to happen. And the thing that I sort of hint at in the article and we talk about on the show is that Taylor is probably the biggest talent of all of them. Even though he somehow dropped into the second round, he has this ability both based on what we saw in college, his tested numbers, his tested numbers at his size, you know, 226 pounds, what he did as a rookie, especially down the stretch, you talk about wanting to get these guys involved in the passing game and the fact that Taylor has more speed than the rest of them means he has a better chance to create that big play. And we saw some big plays from him a season ago than even the rest of the guys in that group. Well, what's the easiest way to get a big play? It's not from running through all those gigantic people in the middle of the line of scrimmage right there is to get out on the edge and break it that way. So, I think that we'll see that. One of the things you also mentioned is, again, they're going to get him the ball. I talked a little bit about Dalvin Cook's season last year, which was very unusual with this 15-5 split where he had 15 rushing EP, 5 receiving EP, and then he added 3.9 fantasy points per expect fantasy points over expectation per game to get to this 24.6 level. One of the things that, that illustrates is just how difficult it is to get there and yet, at the same time, it also offers us a little bit of a glimmer of hope for someone of Taylor's talent. I think that Cook and Taylor are probably the most similar players in the game in terms of combining this overall rushing ability, this receiving ability, and this big play ability to where the team is just going to keep hammering them, hammering them, hammering them. We know that the Colts have the offensive line that would work in the favor of that. If Taylor would end up with a profile where he's like at 14 rush EP, five receiving, and then had a four point, you know, over expectation season, then that also gets you kind of into that 23 point per game range, which is really the range we're looking for from these stars. So the most likely and the easiest path to being able to do it, the path that most of the players take is to have enough receiving. You can get it with this more Dalvin Cook type of season. You really can't get it with a Derrick Henry or a Nick Chubb type of season. So we hope that Taylor fits into one of those roles. We think that he will. You know, one of the things that is possible that it's a 2022 development, a little bit more than 2021, but we want to start buying Taylor here and make sure that we have exposure to him. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, that is going to get us towards the end of an action-packed show here today. Um, I did mention at the start the draft with Blair. That is up on the OT feed as well, so make sure you check that out as it drops throughout the week we will have our regular tree shows here 
of the podcast for Thursday and Saturday. So lots of stuff coming your way to keep you entertained over the coming week. If you haven't already done so, if you can drop us a written review on your favorite podcast app, that would be much appreciated. We have a, a, a listener league coming up. We're going to try and fill a few of them, but we have had a lot of interest so far from last week when I mentioned it. So we have two or three slots left if you are interested in drafting against me and Sean this year on the FFPC in a best ball league. Uh, send me an email at rotavisradio at gmail.com or tweet to me at Overtime Ireland. Uh, as always, you can get yourself a 10% discount of a Rotovis NFL pass. All you have to do is add the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout or by going to rotaviz.com for further information. That's going to bring down the curtain on today's show. Hopefully you have enjoyed it. We'll be back on Thursday with another OT podcast. We'll have those draft podcasts coming out as well. So check those out. Uh, my name is Colin Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. My co-host is Sean Siegel. You can check out all of Sean's great work up on rotoviz.com, including that Jonathan Taylor piece we talked about today. And until we're back with another show, have a good one. Thank you for listening to Overtime on Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz with a discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.